Well, I'm delighted to introduce our next guest. He's well known the length and breadth of Ireland and he has indeed uh, a, a great uh, following of people who uh, are very interested in what he says generally. But I'm going to read a little piece now which will introduce him far better than I could. And this was taken from uh, a September the 29th, 2015, when John uh, Lonergan, who is my guest, a former governor of Mount Joe Prison, was conferred with an honorary doctorate of laws in Maynooth University. So just bear with me. This isn't the whole speech, but it's very uh, representative of what John is about. John Lonergan joined the Irish Prison Service in 1968 and was governor of Port Leash Prison and Mountjoy Prison until his retirement in 2010. The breadth and depth of John's service to and understand, uh, sorry, outstanding achievements within the public, private and voluntary sectors of Irish society is inspirational. His vision and selfless determination have touched and immeasurably improved the lives of many, particularly the most vulnerable. His is a truly formidable contribution and a unique one. Now, John, isn't that a nice... Um, that was very generous. Oh, Whoever I see. wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably very, very accurate. John, can I go back um, to the beginning, really? And I've read little extracts from your book. I have to confess, not the whole book. But you give great um, credence to the fact that you grew up in a rural society, in a family, a loving family, and your mum and dad were particularly hard-working, uh, I would say pragmatic people, and that a lot of your values have sprung from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some people know I, I was born in a little area called Kilmyla, which is a giant parish of Banch in Kilmyla. Uh, when I was born in 1947, um, Canon Hayes was our local parish priest, but of course he was more famous uh, because uh, than because he was parish priest of Branch and Kilmyler. He was famous because he was the founder of Winton the Tira. That's right, yes. And uh-huh. um, uh, so he was uh, from Maru County Limerick, and he grew up uh, experiencing uh, great poverty, and he later became a priest, and uh, as a result of his own experiences of poverty, he believed that you know, we, we, especially in rural Ireland, we needed to do something about it. And that's why he, fa- he founded Muint and the Theory in 1937. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I grew up in that environment. My mum and dad, my, da- my dad was an old-fashioned dad, as all dads nearly that time were. He worked very hard um, day and night, and he did all sorts of labouring work and, uh, um, and other works, but he did nothing at home. And my mother was, I used to describe her and still describe her as a, as a slave, like many, many mothers that time. They did everything in the house, and we had no running water when I was young. Um, we had electricity, but that only had that only arrived in Banches, the first rural area to get electricity in 1947-48. Uh, the open fire, um, uh, you know, can imagine uh, you nowadays with people uh, trying to dry clothes in the winter time, and and there was eight of us, four yeah. boys and four girls. So you can imagine the the job and the task it was, and. Uh, so uh, I, I grew up there, and I suppose some of her, her um, particularly my mother, her values and principles were very, very strong, old-fashioned, but very well ingrained into her, and that was around honesty and decency and kindness and good nature and generosity and humor and all those sort of very yeah. basic principles. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both left school at, after doing a, a primary cert, so they were, uh, but they could both read and write very well, and uh, 
And so, yeah, we lived uh, a very simple uh, life in, in the countryside, as not 99% of people did that time. Absolutely. And, uh, and some of those principles and values of being kind to people and sharing with people. I mean, Canon Hayes' philosophy was to care and to share. The care bit was to look after people, and the share bit was to share your time and your, and your abilities and your skills and your knowledge with other people. And... Uh, and he described the community way back in 1937, you know, 38, 39 as a, as a social mix of equals. Hmm. So he was way ahead of his time in terms of equality and, and you know, uh, all that sort of stuff, a social inclusion and all the lovely names that we've come up with over the last hundred years. Yes, the recent, years the recent values, yeah. But you have two other uh, values that, you, that come up in your, your writing and your speeches very often, uh, John. Respect and then the other one is self-discipline. And I, I feel that maybe you got that self-discipline from playing your football and hurling at home. I might be wrong. But, yeah, now, yeah, the first three I mentioned uh, respect. Like I, when I started off, um, you know, in, in the prison system, first I observed a few people, not many, but a few people working there who definitely always uh, demonstrated that they respected everyone they dealt with, including prisoners. And uh, when I started, uh, you know, as a pint of governor in July 1984, uh, I, I, you know, that was my fundamental uh, uh, approach, and it was based on showing respect. To everybody, uh, to everybody in every situation and at every occasion. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that at the best of my ability. And I believe that that's a very fundamental and, uh, you know, value and, and principle and foundation to build life on. And I, I actually believe that when I go to schools, for instance, I always say, you know, if you, if you base your, your relationships and your life on, on, the, on, the, on the value and the principle of showing respect, well, then there's no need for any of the more modern things like you know, sexual consent and all those things. If you have the fundamentals right, uh, then you, if you respect the person, you will never, ever force them or impose yourself on them. You'll always ask for their uh, permission. And yeah. then in relation to discipline, yeah, I do believe that discipline is very important. I saw a lot of people's lives who, in the prison system whose lives collapsed around the lack of discipline yeah. and the lack of, of structure. And, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I am, I suppose, maybe... Um, Overstructured, or disciplined, or structured myself. Well, I, I meant uh, self-discipline, I, I really. Rigidly yeah. to sort of some some key commitments I make around exercise and right. uh, diet and eating and things like that, and and uh, and, and and they have certainly those values, uh, those two values, shown respect at all times and self-discipline. Um, uh, and discipline in the, uh, generally in life, uh, they're, they're certainly they have worked for me. But they may yeah. not work for everybody, but I can say now at my at this stage of my life that they certainly work for me. John, I, I'm going to pass you on to one of the other girls in a minute, but I just want to ask you one question. What brought you into the prison service? Why oh, the prison what service? The prison service... Um, it's pure chance, like I, you know, and I often say this to students nowadays in second level in particular, that, you know, life can, you know, that, that journey you're traveling in life can bring you in all sorts of places and directions. And most of our lives end up, you know, we end up doing things and we take a direction that we never planned. I certainly never planned yeah, to work in prison, and I, I never knew anyone who I, when I was growing up who was in prison, and I never knew anybody who worked in prison. So it was totally alien to me. And it was just chance then that I saw uh, the Civil Service Commission at that time, at 45 Upper O'Connell Street in Dublin. Some people, some of your listeners will all remember that old building where many of them went up to apply for jobs in the civil service. And I applied for a job in the prison service, and I, I was successful in 1968, and I was assigned to Limerick on the 8th of March, 1968. 
And so it was a total chance. But, uh, you know, for me anyway, and looking back now, and looking back for the, far, the 42 years that I spent working in the prison system, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I learned a lot, and I got a lot of satisfaction out of it. I couldn't say enjoyment because... Uh, you're working with people who are, you know, so A, on one hand, they have done a lot of damage to other people, and B, they have done a lot of damage to themselves as well. And prison is a sort of a, a, a depressing place at the best of times. But I certainly got a lot of fulfillment out of it, and a lot of challenges, uh, and a lot of satisfaction, and, uh, and a great education out of it as well. Right. John, welcome to Scarif Bay. This is Marion Purcell here. Um, I was just wondering, listening to you talking, uh, a young lad from the country with such a different ethos to what something might have been found in the prisoners. Were you horrified by what you found or how did you um, well, gel it with your own? Well, I suppose you'd have to point out um, that like, in terms of when I joined in 1968, the prison service in Ireland at the time was very small. There were only 660 people in total in prison in Ireland in three prisons. Limerick Prison, which catered for all of Munster, part of Leinster and part of Connacht. And the, the Convicts Prison in Port Leash, which was known at that time, which looked after fairly long-term prisoners who uh, you know, were in, uh, imprisoned there, and Mountjoy Prison. And you had a women's wing in Limerick and a women's uh, wing in Mountjoy. And then you had the old prison for women, which was built in 1858, but converted to St. Patrick's Detention Centre in 1956, and uh, there were 260 boys there between the ages of 16 and 21. So we only had 400 adults, uh, men and women, in prison at that time in 1968. So the, the numbers are very small. And I often describe Limerick Prison in Mulgrave Street there in Limerick, in the old prison, uh, somewhere built around the 1820s. Mm. Uh, that uh, It reminded me more of, of a county home uh, at that time than a prison, because most of the people that were there were social misfits, fits with disability, mental health issues, alcohol issues, mainly wine, yeah. uh, and the odd sort of serious criminal um, uh, mixed amongst them. So uh, my starting uh, experience, I suppose, was, was, was strange. I, by the way, I had this expectation going in and my belief system going in was that all the bad people in Ireland were in prison and all the good people were outside. And I soon discovered that within a week that that perception was certainly not right. As I said, uh, and, you know, so amazing is why the prison numbers have increased. And today we have around 4,600, 4,700 uh, uh, men and women in prison. Uh, the reality is that the, it's predominantly populated by uh, individuals who come from very poor backgrounds. They're poorly educated. They're likely to have uh, addiction issues and they're likely to have some psychiatric problems. So we ha- while we have increased the numbers, we certainly haven't uh, changed much the, the typical uh, sort of back- profile background of, of those who go to prison. And, so and to answer your question, um, it, it was... It was, I suppose, low-key enough Limerick prison at the time, 45 to 50 prisoners, um, very little violence in the prison, no drugs, uh, a very sort of simple, basic regime. Um, towards, I suppose, people joining in the last 15, 20 years, they'll be joining a service that has you know, completely changed in relation to the, uh, the, the, the profile of the prisoners. Quite a lot of violence nowadays in prisons because of drugs, of course, a lot of cuttings and, and slashings. And, uh, you know, where, 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 uh, an assault or an act of violence was very rare in my time. It's almost an everyday uh, occurrence nowadays. So I suppose that's the difference between joining way back in 19. 19- and joining in 2023. Is that a reflection of life now, do you think, or is it um, because there seems to be less um, 
going back to your respect again, there seems to be less respect in general for life on the outside. Whatever about on the inside of a prison? Ah, yeah, well, I, I mean, well, King, I think it's quite obvious to anybody observing society, uh, not just in Ireland, but around the world. The first thing is that uh, technology has, has, you know, created a very small world nowadays, especially around culture and, and, and uh, uh, activities and, and all the things that are passed nowadays for everyday living, like drugs and violence mm-hmm. and all that. The, the, the technology has, and television and all those things, uh, have brought the world, you know, to, to everybody's sitting room. So we can see what's happening around the world a lot easier. And as a result of that, we're very much influenced by it as well. And, and you know, so, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's definitely a major reduction in, in terms of showing respect and being respectful of others and, 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 uh, and mannerly to others and, and sensitive about the needs of others. Society has changed. <clears throat> It's gone far more, uh, I suppose, personal and more isolated and more individualistic driven and, uh, and very much influenced by what's happening you know, in America and England and around the world. Yes, so we were, we were sheltered, I guess, in my time and, and in, for many of your listeners' time. You know, uh, we were sort of a sheltered little uh, uh, country. Down. But that shelter has been, you know, di- di- has disappeared yes. and has been shattered. Yes. And today we are, we are experiencing you know, the, what's happening around the world. And the biggest single... Uh, I suppose destructive thing that came into Ireland over the last 50, 60 years is certainly drugs and particularly heroin. That has, that is, that's at the root of a, a huge amount of, uh, of, the, of the problems that society has today. Um, and, 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 and it started off with the, with the poorest families in the poorest areas of urban Ireland being affected by it, and now it has spread widespreadly around to every parish in the country has difficulties around drugs and, and the consequences of drugs and, and how, how behaviour is very much changed as a result of, of, the, of the drug culture. And so there's a lot of things have changed. Um, you know, for, for instance, it was almost unusual in 1968 to have anyone serving a life sentence for murder. And if a murder happened, my God, it was headlines for a month. Uh, to, oh, today, there's well over 400 people serving life sentences in the prison system. So that, that's an indication of how, how, you know, how life has changed and how violent the world has become. John, uh, how are you? My name is Eleanor. Um, you talked a bit about, obviously, the, the increase of... of um, of prisoner numbers from the time that you start until now. And I'm just wondering, although it might sound controversial, you know, like, is it is it working as as, you know, a societal um, instrument in terms of the fact that you mentioned that we, we still have people with mental health, do you know what I mean, with with addictions and that that only seems to be, you know, increasing yeah, you know, if you said to me, uh, does prison work? It has certain uh, positive or, or, or beneficial elements to it. Uh, you know, I still believe that for the vast numbers, and we have to talk and think about the broader society when we're talking about a system like the prison system or the health system or an education system. It's for the masses, like. And for the masses of people in society, prison is it, is it still an ineffective deterrent? A lot of people, uh, you know, the vast numbers of people would hate going to prison. And it acts as a deterrent. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, is it a punishment? It's certainly a punishment for the, the people that are sent to prison, because I believe prison is a punishment, and especially if you're getting a long sentence. And I would regard a long sentence as anything over five years. 
uh, five years upwards for me is a long sentence. So, so uh, from a punishment perspective, certainly when people are sent to prison, they're punished. Uh, uh, and they're contained, by the way. And the containment means that they, they can't commit crime in society while they're in prison. So, you know, you take, we'll say, a serious sex offender and he's, he's sentenced uh, to 20, 30 years in prison. And, he, you know, he's going to be kept in prison for 15, 16, 17 years. During that 17 years, he's certainly not going to commit any crimes on the outside. So, and then the fourth uh, prong is the one that really uh, the prison service has never conquered, and that's the prong uh, known as the reforming or rehabilitation or resocialization, whatever word. But rehabilitation is the normal word. And I'd be very honest and say to you that prison has never been uh, able to rehabilitate. It hasn't the resources to do it, and I'm not sure it has the will to do it either. And so we're, we're, what happens with most people that come in from those backgrounds, we, as I said, we're still imprisoning people with the same sort of ba- social backgrounds, poor education, the lot. And inevitably what happens is when they're released, they go back into that environment again. Yeah. And they're likely to continue on. Uh, their culture in their areas is, is still driven towards crime and drugs and addiction and all of those things. So there is so an inevitability to the recidivism of it. I suppose to say that over the 50 years that I have been associated, or more now than 50 years associated with the prison system in Ireland, I'd say that from, from a rehabilitation perspective, um, and educate now while there's education in prison and, and, and education does its best and there's some services like psychological service and probation services and uh, psychiatric services in prison and individual people benefit from those services if I was to take it on a national basis and on an overall basis uh, I'd say that uh, you know it, it, it is not effective in changing people and helping people to change and where the system is, has no real strength on the, when, when people are released so a lot of people are still being released back into society with nothing and with no alternative and it's inevitable almost and the final point I'd make there is that prisons are generally full of young men like 97% which your listeners might be surprised at 97% of the prison population in Ireland are made up of men and that's fairly consistent throughout the world and uh, but it's mainly young men. So you know, I, when I was in Mountjoy, uh, 27 was the average age, but two thirds of the men population were under 27. So it's it's generally young men that end up in prison. And as most people know nowadays, because of science and because of education, men, uh, young men are very vulnerable. Their, their decision making is very poor. Uh, they're inclined to show off. They're not very much aware of consequences. And, you know, what's depressing in a way is that by the time they reach their mid-30s, most of them have changed, most of them have grown up, most of them have given up crime. But, of course, they have wasted 15 years of their best lives, uh, years of life, and they have caused horrendous damage to thousands of innocent people who are the victims of their activities. So that's the sad bit, that if they were as mature uh, at 22 as they're at 32, they'd be quarterless, uh, you know, they were only a quarter of the crime. But, of course, that's not the case. So young men are, are very, you know, they're, they're, they make up the vast numbers in prison. And the reason for it is that they're, uh, they're not responsible. You know, I'm talking about self-responsible. They're not uh, capable of, I suppose, being aware of what, what you know, decision-making and choices that they make often lead them on to making bad choices time and time again. And that often, inevitably often, that, that means that they end up in prison. And, and John, can I just um, ask you, on, like on a personal level, um, and you speak with, you know, a huge humanity and, and deep understanding of, you know, the demographics of, 
you know, our prison population and the circumstances. I'm just wondering on a personal level, when you think about the victims, and again, you've talked about them, you know, um, today, like how how on a personal level do you stay in relationship you know, with the prison population and at the same time hold a space within yourself around the victims of some most, you know, serious crime? Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's very simple. Like uh, my whole um, my whole philosophy would be really around preventing uh, victims being created in the first place. And a lot of people misunderstand that because uh, when I'm talking about some of the causes of criminality, I'm not making excuses for criminality. There's a big difference. In, in trying to raise awareness around social housing, for instance, <coughs> public housing uh, policy, uh, creating ghettos uh, where culture becomes very negative and aggressive and, and drug-based, uh, and poor education is pushed to one side, and you have a groups and hundreds and thousands of young people growing up uh, totally inadequate in terms of, of ability and, and, and development, and many of them never reach their full, de- their, their full potential. So when I talk about some of the causes and the reasons and the things that have to change, I'm actually thinking long term about the victims because uh, I have no tolerance for violence, by the way, none at all. And uh, I, I, my philosophy around violence is that it's never justified under any circumstances except in self-defense. When you have to protect yourself or your family, well, then, obviously, you have a license to, to use whatever aggression or violence or strength is, is necessary to, to, to save your family and protect them and yourself. But other than that, in my view, there is no justification at all for violence. And I come down very hard on violence, and I, as I said. Uh, but I suppose what I keep focusing on and keep saying is, we have to keep focusing on the behavior because it's the behavior of individual people that cause all the trouble. And uh, I distinguish between the behavior and the person. And, uh, but I did very hard on, the, on the, the behavior and the actions of anyone who is violent against another person. And so in the longer term, if we can reduce the number of people who are committing crime, we are automatically reducing the numbers of victims of crime. And that's why it's so important to try to, uh, you know, to, to focus a bit on the prison population at any one period and try to identify the things that are contributing to creating young criminals, uh, like drugs, like poor social circumstances, like social alienation, poor education, uh, and many other factors as well. The culture where they grow up is often a very powerful one as well. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. So I have nothing but empathy and sympathy for those who are victims of crime and especially violent crime. And I, I, I would distinguish very strongly as well between uh, crimes against property and crimes against the person. And for me, we haven't got wrong for many, many decades. We, have, we pay far more attention to people who commit crimes against property, and we often sentence them and punish them more for crimes against property uh, than we do crimes against people. And for me, it's the other way around, mm-hmm. that we should be very hard, hard on people who commit crimes against people and, and maybe taking a, a, a lesser uh, a stance against uh, crimes against property. But, well, I, you know, but from, a, from a, a victim's perspective, I have nothing but empathy and sympathy for those who are innocent victims of uh, the, the wrongdoing of others. And, be, and that's what it is, by the way. It is the wrongdoing of others. John, you have mentioned there, Geraldine here again, you've mentioned there all the things that are mitigating against keeping people out of prison, like lack of education, um, the areas that people come from when they don't get a chance. Um, Like we have named a lot of the ills and we kind of know what we can do about it. 
But are we ever going to achieve that? Because there's just so much wrong with society at the moment and we have just too much to do, or have we? Yeah, like, look, I suppose if you say to me, and I, and I have said this, I don't know how many times over the years, I have no, absolutely no hesitation in saying, and I have no doubts at all in my mind about it, but the answer to social deprivation and the answer to poverty and the answer to many of the negative cultures that uh, develop around as, as a result of social alienation and all that, I have absolutely no doubt that education is the only answer. And uh, we have, by the way, we have made lots of strides uh, in, in uh, you know, in education since, you know, Dr. Paddy Hillary, for instance, way back in the, in, the, in, the, in the late 50s and 60s was probably the first person to put a focus on uh, second level education, the importance of it when he was Minister for Education. And then, of course, Donna Cormelli, uh, your neighbour down there in Clare, uh, who introduced sec- free second level and then subsequently third level education, now have access to it and many avail of that. So we have made tremendous strides. The problem is we still have left a significant number of people behind. And, uh, and uh, that's the challenge. It's, it's, I've no doubt about what's the answer. Of course, the challenge is how do you get, especially young men, because mm-hmm. it's the men that really, really take the nurturing and, the, and the, the real priority. How do you get them to stay in education to do at least their leave insert? Because if you reach your leave insert and you do your leave insert, you see you have the foundation in place now and you're 18 years of age or going on 19. So you have some of the worst years of your, you know, the more, mm. the more dangerous years of your teenage years and your, uh, 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 you know, adolescence behind you. And there's a chance that you might then have enough of a cop on to go on. So I, my, my, uh, my philosophy is that we need to focus, to keep focusing on education, tr- keep trying to encourage people to stay at second level education uh, primary education nowadays is generally has no major problems because most children do actually finish primary education now, but the transition to second level is where the real problem is. And uh, that's going to continue to be a real challenge. Uh, John, can I just ask you on that point, is there any appreciable difference or can one spotlight where uh, the change occurs between the young men who don't go wrong and the ones who do, they're like, like there's people in all walks of life who will, you know, choose the wrong path. And yet, if, if what you're saying it follows through that this, the, that particular period of a young man's life is, um, you know, fraught, what's the difference? What makes one person go well, one way, not the other? It's not just education. Like if you're following it and observing it. That, uh, you know, uh, when most of them will tell you this, like that, when they drop out of school, like early school leaving is a, for me, is a red light. Like if a young boy is dropping out of school at 15 or 16 or before that, I, I would write, light a big red light over his head and say, listen, danger, at, at, you know, near. Uh, it's not inevitable that those who leave school early end up in crime and end up in prison, but it's certainly increasing the risk. It's the culture, I'd say. Uh, you know, young lads of 15 and 16 who have dropped out of school telling 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds, uh, you know, this is a waste of time. Uh, they're involved maybe in drugs and crime and they have the appearance of uh, the benefits of it with, with clothes and maybe cars and that sort of stuff. Uh, and so they, they present to the young boy, the 12 and 13-year-olds, that this is an exciting life. This is a life of freedom. Uh, education is boring. Um, and, and there's no big uh, booze in it and there's no big risk-taking in it. And, and that is a huge influence in relation to boys especially, not as much with girls. 
Uh, and I noticed that more and more girls are now completing second level education. And, uh, but boys are still more and more at risk. And so the culture is, and, and then they, uh, I suppose in primary school, a lot of them would tell you that they have the one teacher all the way, you know, every year in primary school and they develop a relationship with that teacher and, and that sort of thing helps them to sustain them in primary. When they go to secondary, that, you know, that teacher, that one teacher is gone and you have so many different teachers and of course the whole competition in second level, especially around exams and, and, and aiming for the leave and certain all that. that that competitiveness the speed of learning uh, that they experience when they go to first and second year in, in uh, second level they find that very very difficult and uh, you know a school attendance uh, welfare officer said to me once uh, you know they don't just stop going to school they begin to drop out over a period of time so that is is uh, you know missing a day one week two days the next week you know three days in a month's time and then eventually just dropping out phasing out he called it they don't drop out they phase themselves out and I'm afraid that is you know and then you have the culture the drug culture where you know the money is there it's a easy money it's an industry in many of these housing estates and in and these areas we are talking about in urban Ireland in particular and those young lads you know they're making two or three hundred every week uh, selling drugs or maybe more that for a young boy that's vulnerable and innocent, that's very attractive. And uh, I'm afraid that's part of the challenge is how do you break that attractiveness mm-hmm. and make education more attractive, that in the longer term that education is a way a better option. Uh, but I'm afraid we haven't won that battle yet. And we still have huge swaths around the country, especially in Auburn Ireland, where too many young people drop out of school uh, too early and I'm afraid a, a percentage of them make their way into criminality and, and eventually get criminal convictions that end up in prison. Yeah. Um, John, in, in terms of you've written a book around parenting and I'm just wondering, just for our listeners, um, what, what would be your, you know, your advice around even those the, noticing those educational patterns for their children and, and around kind of intervening or staying connected, particularly with the young boys and, and girls? Yeah, well, I mean, I did write a little book on parenting and uh, it was called uh, Parenting, Raising Your Child in Ireland Today. And uh, I mean, my emphasis really was on around mainly on connection, uh, communication. I, I put a lot of uh, emphasis on chatting with your child from, from day one and right through up to teenage years, uh, listening to what they have to say, encouragement would be huge for me, encourage, encourage, encourage. Uh, don't have mad, unrealistic uh, ambitions or, or expectations, but know your child, accept your child's reality and, and, uh, and, and, and stay connected to that child and love your child unconditionally. That's why one of my... Sp- strong points is you can't be linking it to achievement or whatever it is so they, they, you know parents are way more influential than they think they are for good or for bad and uh, they say I mean I put both groups up on the same pedestal teachers and parents and as far as the child is concerned uh, a parent has huge uh, status and influence <coughs> and the uh, teachers have so uh, there's great responsibility on both as well uh, therefore to, to uh, show by example uh, you know, what, what the values in life are like, truthfulness, honesty, uh, kindness, uh, sensitivity, um, non-judgmental uh, behavior and, and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I do believe. But, but what parents today, again, like, like the prison service has changed dramatically over the last 50, 60 years, parenting has also changed dramatically. 
and uh, so many parents now are run off their feet like they're, they're holding down at least two jobs a job outside the home and a, a job inside the home we're still in this in the area where uh, women mothers in particular are expected to do far too much and they're run off their feet and they you know it's not easy to come home at five o'clock or four o'clock in the evening after a hard day's working uh, outside the home and then start off afresh again in the home and 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 children are so demanding and their expectations are that you give them that your own undivided attention and and sometimes and in regular and on regular occasions parents are just too busy too stressed too anxious to be able to do that so parenting has changed as well and we, and we don't have the same time anymore and uh, as a result of that uh, we don't have the families either like in the old days where family networks like grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and all that sort of stuff uh, you know father harry bone down there you're one of your your great priest down there you know to say he was one of the first i heard saying it that it takes a parish to rear a child but I'm afraid the parish isn't there anymore to rear the child. So an awful lot of children are being raised now by, by maybe a single parent. And there's a huge difference between that and being reared in, in, in a parish. Absolutely. John, I'm going to just change the tack for a minute now. Uh, what do you think about the, uh, the project which has been initiated by the Social Enterprise and Employment Strategy, this Kickstart programme? Um, they have a, a lot of initiatives around uh, scholarships for people with maybe addiction issues or criminal records, which encourages them to go back either into indi- education or um, secure employment for them, either in existing um, premises or starting up new strategies. So what do you think about that? Well, obviously, look, I, I am a supporter of any initiative that will try to encourage people to uh, to further their education because I believe automatically by furthering your education and inc- increasing your your skill sets and your life skill sets that you're increasing the chances of that person being able to make a, 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 a self-sufficient life like that they'll be able to work and, and create the wealth that will be able to sustain them and their families. Uh, and and build their self-esteem and give them confidence and and all sorts of new opportunities. So, listen, we have to counteract the negativity, the destructive stuff that we have spoken about already, and it's there. And there's a huge difference between the child that's born into a middle-class, fairly well-educated, fairly wealthy, normally wealthy, average wealthy family uh, with stability and, and all that. We, we often take for granted the stability of a family and of a two individuals or, or the parent if it's a single parent. But that stability has huge influence. And often young, these young people are born into very, very unstable and very, very unpredictable uh, uh, environments. And parenting, uh, the parents are not often equipped or capable and sometimes they're not there even to do the work at all. Uh, often the father in particular is missing. So anything I think that the any initiative at all that will encourage people at any age to skill up and to try to go back into the workforce. I believe that most human beings like working because it gives them a status as well as an income. It gives them a self of worth. And, you know, there is something more to about earning a living or, uh, you know, and, and I would include second and third level, level education in that. That is, it's all part of building your self-esteem and building your and equipping yourself. So any initiatives that are out there that encourages people to do that and, and rewards them for doing that. I mean, it's way better money spent than, than going down the criminal justice route of intercourse, barristers, free legal aid, prison, all the negative consequences and the destruction. 
and, and not to mention the victims and the damage that's done to them. So anything that counteracts and encourages people uh, to be able to avail of more and more opportunities that are out there, well, then I'm, I'm in favour of it. John, you've given us and all our listeners plenty of food for thought there. And as usual, you took a lot of sense. And can I just... Thank you on behalf of Scarif Bay Community Radio uh, for coming on and talking to us. Uh, it was a great, it was great uh, to have you and wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, John. My pleasure. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye.